Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, uh, folks, and welcome to another episode of uh, Wisdom of Friends. I'm your host, Cal Ross, and today I'm really delighted and super excited to be introducing you to a good friend of mine. His name is Terry Beard. Terry is an entrepreneur with many years of experience building and leading successful ventures in retail, manufacturing, brick and mortar, and internet enterprises. He recently published a book called Squelched, Succeeding in Business and Life, by finding your voice. And what's remarkable about this book, friends, is that he tells his story with honesty, humility, and authenticity that draws you in with a writing style that's very compelling. Friends, in this episode, we talk about his life journey, his career successes, the challenges he faced along the way, but most importantly, how he found his voice and now how he's dedicated his life to helping others find their voice through Toastmasters, Rotary, and also the importance of legacy and what does that mean to him. Friends, I hope you find this conversation enjoyable as much as I did. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Terry Beard. So good morning, Terry. Uh, welcome to the Wisdom of Friends show. I am really delighted that you took the time to be on this program. And after having read your book, The Squelched, uh, Succeeding in Business and Life by Finding Your Voice, I was just looking forward to having this chat with you. And I'm so delighted uh, that you uh you took the time to be on this program, so welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and I really appreciate, uh, Cal, you asking me to be on the show. Great. Uh, Terry, one of the ways we kick off our show is by asking our guest a simple yet profound question, and that is, what is your favorite quotation or philosophy that you live by, and how have you applied it to your life? Well, there's a gentleman that we all know from England, Winston Churchill, is, quote, never, never, never give up. And I think that my life, uh, as I continue to live it on my journey, like all of us, I've had some setbacks, but got to get back up and got to go again. No, that's so great. I I really uh, like that quote. And uh, it was one of the signs that I grew up with as one of my personal mottos uh, while in school and in college is never quit, don't give up. And... uh, it's very inspiring for sure. And for the benefit of the audience, Terry Beard is a uh, businessman with many years of experience building and leading successful ventures in retail, manufacturing, brick and mortar, and internet enterprises. So Terry, what I'm curious about is, what did your parents do and how did that shape your life? And what I'm uh, really trying to find out is, how did uh, growing up, would how would you describe your childhood growing up? Well, when I was going through it, I didn't realize it was as tough as it was. My father worked at the Camas Washington Paper Mill, and this is back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And my mother and father had six children. I was the oldest children, child, if you will. And I learned 
very, very early in life that I needed to go out and fend for myself. That means when I was five, six, seven years old, I was looking for work. And by the time I was nine, I was delivering newspapers, picking beans, picking berries. But it was one one struggle after a, another to maintain food, clothing, and shelter. Mm, uh, that is interesting. And uh, one of the ways uh, that you kicked off your speaking career, as I understand it, is was being requested uh, to speak at the school assembly. So could you tell us that story and what was what happened and how did that shape your life? I was going to St. Joseph's Catholic grade school in Vancouver, Washington. And in the second grade, I was asked to be the MC, And I was really honored to be asked. I remember I was so proud being seven or eight years old to be the class assembly MC, and that was for first through eighth grade. And every Friday afternoon, we would have these class assemblies, and I would be all spiffied up, dressed with a sport coat and tie. And I would lead these assemblies. And then after several weeks, the mother superior came to me and said, Terry, your deportment on the school grounds doesn't really comport with you leading the class assembly. So we're going to have to ask you to, to sit back and let somebody else take over. Now, that was the first time that I really felt squelched, and I didn't realize that I had been squelched at that time. I knew that I was having too much fun on the playground, getting into fights with different people, which is, I think, some of what goes on in grade school. But nonetheless, I never really got back up on my feet to speak until many, many years later. And you're absolutely correct, Terry, uh, that, you know, having that experience early on definitely erodes our confidence, as you mentioned in your book. And we always need these put-ups and not put-downs if we are to think well of ourselves and uh, be ready to stand to scrutiny. So the question is, how did you deal with that moment going forward? Did uh, did you find any mentors? Did you find any, uh, what was, what drove you to take on the next steps in life? You're asking after I was asked or I was benched and squelched and uh, taken down in the second grade that I wouldn't be able to get up and lead the class assemblies? Yes. But I knew then that I was on my own and I needed to fend for myself. So I started off becoming a rugged individualist and I found more happiness in working than I did in going to school. So I went through the motions of going to school but I really didn't accomplish a lot in school, but I really learned how to work and take care of myself because I couldn't count on anyone else. Um, no, that's uh, totally uh, understandable. And the other question that I have for you, Terry, is now you've had an incredible career with as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, and uh, as also as a Toastmaster. And one of the questions we often get from our audience is that how do we realize what our purpose is, what our passion is? And what what are your tips? What has been your experience in terms of when people are trying to find their voice, people are trying to find their calling? What would you say to them? I found out, <clears throat> excuse me, I found out I was just short of turning 50 years of age, and I still 
from those early days in grade school, having been benched, I really had not been on my feet to speak in front of other people. And I was encouraged by Dr. Richard, a local psychologist here in Portland, Oregon, that I might consider joining Toastmasters at some point. It's a long story, which I've written about and which I'm certainly open to talk about to any level that we would want to go. But this gentleman, Dr. Richard, introduced me to different people and I was asked to join a Toastmaster group and after several months and a few years I gained so much confidence and I was so excited I could feel that my self-esteem and my self-confidence was growing and I started sharing this with other people and come to find out much as we've all heard most people would rather be in the coffin than give the eulogy People are fearful of public speaking. The percentage is somewhere between 85 and 90 percent of our American population is afraid to get on their feet to speak. And so when I found Toastmasters, I found a safe harbor. I just started inviting all my friends and associates to join Toastmasters, and it just caught fire for them and made me feel better that I was finding my purpose, helping people to find their voices. That's great. And for the benefit of the audience, Toastmasters International is a leading organization based out of uh, Colorado now. It was initially California, but they help people build their public speaking and leadership skills. And it was started by Robert Smedley, uh, Ralph Smedley, I believe, in 1904. And now it has operations in over 150 countries. So it's really a very well-known organization. And we'll get into the Toastmasters experience, Terry. The other thing that I want to ask you about is you've had this incredible career, incredible life, and you know, you've know you documented all of that in your fantastic book, Squelched. The question that I, I'm really curious about is when you look back at your life, you know, we all have had those moments, those successful moments when the turning points, if you will, that life was never the same again moment. Can you recall any of those uh, in your life that really uh, had that gave you the paradigm shift in your thinking, in your perspective, in your mindset? You know, I think that it's I didn't know what I didn't know. And I think as Michael Miller, the CEO of Goodwill Industries here in the Columbia Willamette chapter headquartered here in Portland, Oregon, I was really beginning to live and examine life. How come I made the choices that I made? Why did I make these choices? I continued to talk to not only myself, but I found and I sought out some help with Dr. Richard. I also have talked to other people and the higher quality of people that I was able to connect to to get the advice from really helped me because it's all about the people. That's the big paradigm shift for me. It's all about the people. No, I totally agree with you. And I think one of the quotations from by Jim Rohn, uh, a motivational speaker, is that, you know, we are the average of the five people we hang out with. And it's so important, as you said, that surrounding ourselves with people that are smarter and uh, uh, who are elevated in their thinking and their conversations can certainly uh, you know, raise our level of uh, competence as well. So the other question is, uh, 
in talking about mentors and talking about people that you've surrounded yourself with, you mentioned Dr. Richard having played a significant part in your life and in your career. So how did you meet Dr. Richard and what was his influence on you? Uh, it's a, That's a big question and it's really a great question. I went to uh, Dr. Jim here, Dr. Jim McKay, and I found out that at a very young age, my blood pressure was soaring through the roof and I really needed some help. And to talk to people, I was wearing everyone out, including all my family members. And he suggested that maybe I meet somebody like uh, Dr. Richard. And I went to him and I started chatting with him and I spent countless hours each week for 20 years, 25 years. And he gave me the help that I hadn't received when I was a child. And so we got back to the dictionary, talked about Toastmasters. I engaged in Toastmasters. I got involved in Rotary. I took dance lessons. I mean, I knew accounting. I knew marketing. I knew how to give customer service. So I had the business piece figured out, but I didn't have me figured out. Mm, that's that's a very interesting distinction. And and so I, this is a great uh, segue into our next section. And I, what I want to kind of talk to you about is, so having discovered, and you know, as Ralph Waldo Emerson says, that one of the most important things we can do is know thyself. And uh, so having learned about our, your own journey, about your own self, and having written this book, Squelched, what has been your experience as you were writing this book? Can you share a little bit about what kind of memories came back to life and how was that experience for you? Just capturing all those moments, the significant moments of your life into a book. It started, I would say, over 30 years ago when I first started talking to Dr. Richard. When I went in to see him, I took a journal and I now have over 15 feet of journals that I have collected. Mm. And in 2011, I was in Paris, France. My two sons were there with me. And I got up each morning at 4 o'clock and I said, I need to leave a legacy for my sons. I have two different children from two different women. And so it was a scramble, if you will. I'm still close to both of them. I was close to them raising raising them, but I was running all over the place trying to keep track of them and them trying to find me, etc., etc. And so I thought if I laid my life out, I would be able to help them to understand themselves as much as I've come to understand myself. No, and in the process yeah. of that, I said, this book is, it's everyone's story. It's more than just for my two sons Everybody has their own story to tell, and a lot of people have had a lot of difficulty, but a lot of people don't know how to talk about it, don't know how to work through their problems. So I want to set up a model to not only help people, but to give them self-esteem and self-confidence by helping them find their voices. No, that's uh, really inspiring and uh, I you know, a very beautifully written book, again, for uh, the benefit of our uh, listeners here. Uh, Terry's book, Squelch, Succeeding in Business and Life by Finding Your Voice, is available on Amazon. Uh, so, Terry, uh, talk to us about your experience with Toastmasters. What was it like? Do you recall the moment when you walked into a Toastmasters meeting the first time? Yes, I do. And 
I remember when the person who was introducing me to the Arlington Club Toastmaster <coughs> took me to my first meeting in January of 2001. And I went in and I'm all dressed up and sport coat and tie and I broke out in a sweat. It was really, really difficult. However, there was a group of men and women, members of the Toastmaster group. They welcomed me in. They created this safe harbor. And whenever I would be asked to get up to speak, I would just be nervous and shaking, sweating. But more and more, I found this place to be a safe harbor, and they really gifted me with an opportunity to help me find my voice, my self-esteem, and my self-confidence. And the one thing that started to happen after a few years, and I recall with my wife, I would be preparing the night before, and finally in the morning she says, go get him, Tiger, have a good time, and I would start laughing. Now, when I mentioned to her that I have a speech to give, she says, get out of here. I'd like to get some sleep. She says, you're having too much fun now. <laughs> <laughs> and the other part that I found very, very interesting, I'll never forget this. It was about the time that Obama was for going out for his first election in 2007 or 8, whatever that election cycle was now. But it was in that period, a fellow Toastmaster, Gordon Hoffman, stopped everyone when we were closing up a meeting because every once in a while a Toastmaster group is a speaker short, if you will. Somebody can't make it and they can't find a replacement. So I always told the group that I would be become the volunteer. So I became the most scared person in the room to, I think, one of the best volunteers. And I'll never forget Gordon Hoffman when he said, if somebody else doesn't volunteer, we're going to create <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to create the best speaker in this in this group. So I continued to volunteer and hey, voila. <laughs> no, that's great. <clears throat> so and, and you, you still continue to be part of uh, Toastmasters, is that correct? Yes, I am. I'm uh, 16 years. I was with the <clears throat> Club Toastmasters, the greatest master club in the universe. And three years ago, myself, along with 25 other people, we founded a group called the Rotary, Portland Rotary Club Toastmaster Group, and we have a really great group, and now we're the greatest Toastmaster Club in the universe. <laughs> I definitely would like to come visit sometime, and sounds like an exciting uh, club of uh, in Portland out there. <clears throat> so, uh, shifting gears here, uh, Terry, you mentioned you've traveled to France, and uh, so the question I have for you is, what are some of the places in the world that you've traveled that you really uh, uh, found as you know your, as your favorite place to travel? Any uh, other than any places other than France that comes to mind? Well, yes, I was drafted in 1967, 68 during the Vietnam War, and I was sent to Germany. And I write about it in the book. And I was stationed for two years in Augsburg, Germany. And I have been going back and forth to Europe for the last 50 years. And Dr. Richard suggested to me, just as I was turning 50, he said, you go there so often, why don't you learn French? And I said, well, why would I want to learn French? Everybody in Paris that is in business, the people that I run into, they all speak English. And he said, well, maybe it would be a good idea for you to learn French. And I took his advice. 
I started studying French and I thought, what am I doing? I'm going to learn this language. I continue to study and continue to study French. And today I go to Rotary Clubs in Paris. I go to Toastmaster Clubs in Paris. I travel around Europe and you ask other places. Well, Paris is like my second home. So I speak French over there all the time. I meet a lot of people. And I'm going to get my book translated here in the next six to 12 months in, into French. That's great. That's really great. <clears throat> um, the, other, the other thing that uh, comes up is, Terry, is in your experience, having you know, seen the ebb and flow of life, uh, what would you now, in this point in your career, in your life, would you say is a definition of a successful life or a good life? Well, I think one of the things that I do, and I discuss with friends, family, and colleagues, my work's my play, and my play's my work. And when the two merge, the vocation and the avocation merge, a person, I really think, is really cooking and having a really great, great time. And once again, it gets, it gets back to the people. It's always about the people, whether it's at work, at home, or at play. I couldn't agree more, and you're absolutely right. It's uh, when our calling and our, <clears throat> you know, play kind of merges together. I mean, there's nothing like it. Vocation, and it becomes a vocation. Uh, that's fantastic. So here's a hypothetical question, Terry, and I want to kind of like walk down the memory lane. And this is that moment, if you recall, uh, you were, you know, you made a trip to Mexico City, and... Uh, and you were invited to give that speech. And and as you mentioned in your book that, uh, you know, it wasn't the most, uh, uh, I would say, the pleasant experience that you've had in your life. And uh, for some reason, you just felt embarrassed and humiliated in front of everyone when you tried to give that speech. <clears throat> now, if you had to go back in time and talk to your young self, what advice would you give him? Well, first of all, since I didn't win the, the parent lottery, if you will, my folks were well-intentioned, but they didn't value education and culture as much as a lot of people do. And I didn't have anyone to go to, but knowing what I know now, I mentor not only my own two children, but a couple of other people but I would be there for them. And if this would have happened, I would know if I had had the parent or the custodial parent or someone who was mentoring me, I would have had someone to take to the schoolhouse with me to particular embarrassing situation. Whereas you mentioned, yes, when I went to Clark Junior College, one of the requirements was to take a speech class and I was called on to give a speech and I knew that it was coming up in a few days. And so I wanted to tell the story about winning a trip to Mexico city when I was 12 years old and how that expanded my life and my awareness. And when I got up, the words wouldn't come. And the teacher said, when I sat down, that's the worst speech I've ever heard in all my years. People talking to people like that is not a good thing, as we know. And the other thing that I've learned 
is that when somebody gets up and makes a full attempt to give a speech and they do a terrible job, they don't need to be told they already know. So today, when I see somebody at Toastmasters who has a difficult time getting up, has a difficult time giving a, a good speech or a reasonable speech, I tell them, we're here, we're supporting you, and it will get easier. You hang in there and you can count on us. There's no criticism. I like that, and it's absolutely critical that we receive these uh, inspiration from our people around us uh, as we continue with our career, our life, and our experiences as we tend to grow in all different dimensions of life. And it's so critical that we have that. And it goes back to, as you said, surrounding us all with people who believe in us and uh, who support us and give us the direction and inspiration when we need it. So switching gears here, and I would like to go into the next section, which is we received some questions from our audience. And one of the first questions that I would like to ask you is, what stops people, in your view, from achieving their full potential? A belief in them, a lack of a belief in themselves. And how can one go about transcending those negative limiting beliefs? Well, first of all, recognizing that they have, if you will, the... The, the wrong thought process of finding that safe harbor. And that's the reason why I tout public speaking. And we have this opportunity that's already cultivated, as you've mentioned, Cal, the Toastmaster groups and finding a Toastmaster group because every organization, every club, every membership has a different personality. And the groups that have these uh, support network where you can still grow and develop but it needs to be done in a safe harbor. We need put-ups, as you've mentioned. We need put-ups, not put-downs. Absolutely. And the other question is, what was the best piece of advice you've received in your life? Anything comes to mind? I've had a lot of good advice. But the written Dr. Richard giving me the advice to develop myself. I have these 37 picture frame stores. I've got it vertically integrated. The company is vertically integrated. But making money, it's more than just making the money. It's growing myself, and that's the best advice. And when I first got that advice, get a hold of a dictionary, learn another language, take dance classes, read books. I was on a journey there where I read over about 10, 12 years, 1,500 books. I think good leaders need to be good readers, and most of them are. But developing myself, that was the best advice I ever got. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think uh, it was Tony Robbins or Warren Buffett been asked what was the best investment they've made. Is The, the answer was always uh, the investment in themselves. And I think... Uh, you know, uh, what you just said is absolutely right on point is the more we invest in ourselves and in, in terms of getting culture in our lives or developing a new skill or a new lang language ability and uh, traveling and reading books, I think it just uh, expands our horizons. It expands uh, all different dimensions of our lives. And you now that is such a great point you make. Uh, talking about books, what uh, books have you gifted or reread over the years 
any recommendations you have for our audience? Well, there's a book. You get, yes. There's a book that by Good to Great by Jim Collins, a professor at Stanford University. It's all about the people, getting the people on the bus and getting everybody in the right seat. Uh, also, a recommendation to read the book. It's an old, old book that Dr. Richard gifted me with. It's a huge book. It's a big tome of a book. Lord Chesterfield, Letters to His Son. He had a child out of wedlock. This is back in the 1500s. And he raised his child by writing letters on how to live life. And that's a, one of the books that I read that inspired me. I read it 20-some years ago, but it inspired me at some point. I need to leave a legacy and would like to leave a legacy for my two sons by writing a book about my experiences so I could give them some nuggets and perhaps they'll have a better life. Now, and that's, uh, those are great books, and specifically the Good to Great, Jim Collins. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a, one of the fantastic business classics uh, about level five leadership. And you know, I have another. Excuse me, Cal. I have another one. Excuse me. Good to Great by Adam Grant. Give and take. Give and take. Yes. Yes, that's a great book as well. And we'll include all of this in the show notes uh, for our audience and. Uh, and so that brings up another question. You know, they say excellence is about practicing good habits, as you said, uh, you know, reading and, uh, you know, surrounding yourself with good people. What do you spend most of your time doing now in terms of uh, acquiring new skill sets or uh, what are some of the hobbies and interests you've cultivated over the years that you still uh, engage in? Yes, I do. Uh, Toastmasters is a hobby. I really enjoy that. I enjoy writing all the time. I enjoy Terry Talks. Much like you, I live in Portland, which is in the rain belt, uh, like Seattle. So I get a lot of indoor time to do a lot of writing. And I enjoy going back and forth to Paris with my wife, whose family she is from, my wife is from Paris, and continuing to develop my skills with French more and more. And when I go to Paris, it presents an opportunity because distance gives perspective. For example, when I'm in Paris and I see different things, do different things, does it feel differently this time than it did last time? Am I seeing things differently and why? And at the same time, when I come back to Portland, I have a blend of what I like in Paris and what I like in Portland. So I find myself kind of living on both sides of the Atlantic, if you will. And I think it's good because it stretches me. No, that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had a chance to go to Europe uh, last year, and uh, it was one of the incredible experiences of my life. And, uh, you know, we traveled to south of France and then uh, from there went to Spain and Barcelona and Mallorca and Granada and uh, one of the best memories I've had in recent times. Uh, the other question, uh, Terry, I wanted to ask you is that you mentioned in your book that at, when you were sh around your 50 years of age, you were encouraged by Dr. Richard to uh, get into Dale Carnegie's speaking seminars. 
and you mention your experience as like a kid in a candy store with lots of money. <laughs> yeah, yes. So to walk us through or tell us about the Dale Carnegie uh, experience and uh, compared to Toastmasters, what was different about Dale Carnegie uh, versus uh, what your experience was with Toastmasters? Yes, and you, you mentioned Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett also enjoyed Dale Carnegie, and he totally recommends that everyone do public speaking and develop public speaking skills. But Dale Carnegie experience for me, I don't think it's changed. They always like to get 44 people in a group. They meet once a week from 6.30 to 9.30. They meet on Tuesday, Wednesdays, or Thursdays. So they do it on those days because it doesn't interrupt three-day weekends, and it's for 12 weeks. And the way it is formatted, they have 44 people before they start a class because they always know that something's going to happen, that a few people are going to drop out, so they don't want to have less than maybe 35 to 38 people. But you see these people each week, and it is in some ways the same as Toastmasters, but at the end of or in midway through the process of learning how to get up on our feet to speak, Dale Carnegie has created a safe harbor to do that, and you get to know the other people that are in there for the same reasons, for their own individual personal growth and development. So having that one thread in common, people slowly start to become friends and they start to encourage each other more and more. And in addition to the public speaking skills that we learn, we're developing our self-esteem and our self-confidence. No, that's great. And uh, <clears throat> we'll include uh, the links of Dale Carnegie and Toastmasters International uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, switching gears here, uh, Terry, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience with having a successful business career. And I know this could be a discussion on its own, but I just want to touch on a couple of points. What was the best business lesson? And you mentioned that one of the things that you've been uh, you know, highlighting throughout the our conversation here is people. It's all about the people. But besides people, if you had to come up with like one or two distinctions that an entrepreneur who's listening to this or a corporate executive who's running his business, what would you say was one of the biggest aha moments that you've discovered along the way when you're running so many businesses and being successful at it? And is there anything that you would like to share with our audience? Yes. I did it as recently as two weeks ago and then about six weeks ago. And I've always had a habit of whenever I work with the company and the company becomes a vendor, I go to their home office, even though they have sales reps and different people calling on me at my home office, if you will. I've always taken the initiative to go meet the people and didn't know it when I first did it in my mid-20s when I traveled to Boston to talk to a metal molding manufacturer, Nielsen Metal Molding. But I went to see the president, John Moot. And in the process of meeting him, he and I developed a relationship. He gave me the best deal he could ever give anyone. And to this day in the company, it felt economically 
and we have a wonderful relationship with this company. But I've always gone to meet the vendors on their turf, and they're most appreciative. So what I'm hearing you say is a uh, lot of the, the normal convention is to have the vendors come over to your headquarters or your head office. Right. But what you've done is you've did a counterintuitive approach is actually visiting the vendors and suppliers on their home turf. And that sets a tone of camaraderie and, and uh, building a relationship and takes it to a whole nother level. Is that is that correct? Yes. And if I may add, for example, working with Spencer at Finn Partners, and along with his colleagues, Deborah, Karen, and David. I went in January of this year. The book is out. I've been working with them. I had a contract with them, and I know a lot of people are writing books. I thought, this book is important to me. I think there's some messages in here that are good for a lot of people. A lot of us want to be better speakers and develop our self-esteem and self-confidence. Public speaking is that number one avenue for that. I went to meet with Finn Partners colleagues in January of this year, and they are most appreciative, and they bring it up in many conversations. Terry, we really appreciate the fact that you took the effort to come see us. Well, the obvious is now they really not only like the book, but we like each other, and we enjoy working together. No, that's so great. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is, uh, you know, one of the themes or the storyline that I'm also gathering uh, from our conversation here is legacy. Legacy is very important to you. So I wanted to ask you about that. One of the things that you mentioned in your book is you want to pass the torch to your sons. And so tell me, talk to me more about legacy. What does it mean to you and why is it important to you? Well, it is important to me because I want my sons to have the tools on how to live life. And so when they start digging a hole, they know when to stop a lot sooner than I did. And when they have the tools to make their way in life because they've learned them, I've put value on them. It's going to make it easier for them. So, for example, when people ask questions of me, it's called straight talk. I am diplomatic, but at the same time, I avoid politics as much as I possibly can. So if something's not going well in a discussion or in a relationship, guided by the rules of civility, I let someone know that's not going to work. We need to consider doing it another way. And so when we are self-aware, we see the gaps that we have with other people. And in those gaps are mixed-matched expectations. And the sooner someone understands themselves, the quicker and the easier it is to live life. No, it's well said, uh, Terry. Uh, absolutely agree with uh, your thoughts about it's important to... Uh, have the civility in our discussions and you know one of the principles that comes to mind is seek first to understand before being understood and uh, that definitely uh, you know enables uh, people to have great relationships uh, moving on to our next section here and this is the rapid fire round and uh, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and it's the first response that comes to your mind Terry uh, we may not be able to get through all of those uh, questions in the interest of time but uh, just a handful of them so Terry, are you ready? 
Okay, I'm ready. All right. So the first question I have for you is, who's your favorite music band? Oh, Elvis Presley. I don't know that that's a band, but uh, he's my idol, still is. <laughs> and what what color is most prevalent in your wardrobe? Blue. The next question, whose brain would you like to pick? Oh, who's, oh that's a good question. I would like to p- pick uh, Winston Churchill's brain. I just saw that movie, The Darkest Hours. The mm-hmm. Darkest Hour. Yes. I'm enamored by him. Great. And then uh, the next question is, if you could be successful in another profession, which would you choose? I would choose uh, Toastmasters. And the one thing that I would like to see with Toastmasters and why is helping people find their voices, Mm. I think, is paramount. I was recently talking to a superintendent of schools who'd been there for 27 years in this very privileged neighborhood. And I thought, I gifted him with the book, and he wanted to know about the book. And I said, well, here it is. It's right here on the back. You can learn all about it on the back cover. But I really think that every school in America kindergarten through 12th grade speech needs to be a required class it's uh, not, a, not an elective we need reading writing arithmetic and the fourth r is rhetoric that's great well put and well said and the final question within the rapid fire round here is if you could have any message to you of your choice on a billboard what would that be don't be afraid to take the risk. Fantastic. And then uh, moving on to our final section, I just got three more questions for you. And the first one is, what is your current personal or business passion project? And what are you looking forward to in the next six months to a year from now? I'm working on two two things, two projects right now. Squelched. I want to go around the world helping people find their voices. But like everything else, we start at home. We start right here in America. And the next country would be France because the book will be in in French at some time in the future. And I'm also working on a company that's being launched this week called Max Daddy. That's Amazon Mary, A-X, daddy.com. And it's CBD oil products, for dogs. Hmm. Excellent. So the next question is, what are three things you are grateful for in life? Number one, for the struggles that I've had, the lessons that I've learned. This has helped create me, and it's opened me up to some awareness that I'm really appreciative of. I know my folks did their best with what they had. It wasn't good enough. But now I am very proud of the fact that I come from, if you will, an old term, a blue-collar background. But also I can wine and dine with kings and queens and presidents today, and I feel very fortunate to be able to do that. 
That is very inspiring, uh, Terry. And I would like to acknowledge you for a few things here. The first one is, you know, what an incredible journey that you've led. And not only that, having had the vulnerability and the authenticity and uh, just the leadership that you've shown and sharing your journey by writing a book that can be beneficial for so many millions of people out there uh, who are struggling, who may be struggling to find their calling, find their voice. So what an amazing contribution you made to society. The second thing that I also would like to acknowledge you for is, you know, one of the things we did not touch upon here is uh, your contribution to Rotary and the community service that you're engaged in. And that is such a significant part of giving back in the American ethos, if you will. And, you know, you are a shining example of uh, being that good citizen and what does it take to be successful at the same time, helping others uh, become successful too. So thank you for uh, for an incredible journey and what a role model you are for everyone in the community. And, uh, and as you said, it's all about the people and I really uh, admire your uh, take on leadership and, and public speaking. And thank you very much, Cal. I really appreciate the opportunity to be a guest on your show. Great. Excellent. And one final question, and this is how we wrap up all our interviews, and that is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? I think you're an incredible host. I like the way you question, and you are very learned and experienced at what you do. And you're helping other people find their voices by what you're doing. And I'm really grateful that we've connected. Thank you, Terry. It's been my pleasure. And again, thank you for taking the time and uh, being on the show. And for everybody listening, with that, we'll wrap it up. And if you like what you heard, please share. Don't be shy. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Carla Ras. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to wisdomoffriends.net to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. We hope you'll pass along our web address, wisdomoffriends.net, to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archives section on the website for previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank, Thank you. you. This has been a Seven Symphonies production Join us next time for another edition of The Wisdom of Friends.